I guess y'all sitting down is my cue to get going here. So, man, Fred, gonna miss you. Uh, I gotta, I gotta say this to the boys. Uh, all four of them are here. His four boys, as he mentioned, uh, and two grandsons, and two grandsons, and and two daughter-in-laws, and a wife, and the rest of the family who loves him. Um, I have to imagine, like, I've been here six years. I've known your dad six years. And I said this during our staff party that uh, when I think of Fred, I think of the word support. Uh, he is a guy who is so supportive. And I said this during our staff party that I literally don't think I've ever asked him for something and he ever say no to me. So I have to attribute that to you guys just must have just worn him down. Like, <laughs> years and years of just, yeah. And Fred is tired and very kind in these days, but man, just what a guy. I, I think you guys have an awesome dad, and I can really see he talks about you guys a lot. He's got a heart for his kids. He loves you two grandsons, and um, yeah, you guys got an awesome grandpa. He's a sweet guy, so uh, take care of him, all right? Uh, we're going to miss you, Fred. Yeah, wow. Sure. I, I also, I need to say one more thing before we get going, and this is just a, a cry for help from me as a dad as my kids are getting a little bit older and into this Christmas season. Uh, my daughter is four, my oldest, and so she is now old enough and kind of aware of the whole present situation, like very aware of it, to where over the last like month or so, we keep talking and, and she'll say, Dad, I'm getting this, this dog for Christmas. And it's apparently it's a dog with wheels on it. It's not a real dog, but, but you take it and it sits and it shakes. And, and she is very convinced that she's going to get this. And I keep asking her, like, well, where are you going to get this from? And, oh, Grammy's going to get it for me. She, she knows that she's going to get it for me. I said, I don't know if she knows about this. And, and so she says, well, if she's not going to get it for me, then you're a good dad and you'll get it for me. <laughs> and, uh, wow, okay, so... um so I, I had my wife go to the store. Just I just I have no idea what this thing is. She she goes to the store and she sends me this picture, uh, and it's of a price tag, and it's just like 189 dollars. And then the next thing next to it is well, I guess Charlotte's going to be disappointed this year. Um, so my my question is like, how in the world do you navigate this season? I I don't know. Um, so if you have any advice or wisdom, there's no way I'm getting that. Uh, even if I had the money, I would not. That's just a lot anyway. So. Um, Help as a young dad who would literally give the world to his daughter, uh, just trying to, man, that anticipation and angst, and it's about Jesus, Charlotte. She doesn't quite get that yet, that there's gifts, I can see them. So, anyways, here we are. Ah, First John, let's get into the Bible here, because that's why we're here. Uh, let's go First John chapter 1. If you got a Bible, we're going to be in that today. Um, my name is Josh, one of your pastors. Glad to be here. Glad to share with you the Word of God together. If you're new here, uh, we just want to thank you for coming. Thank you for joining with us. That was a, a kind of a long thing about someone you don't know if you're new. Uh, if you've been here a while, we want to say thank you for making this your church. Thank you for investing in a community where every week people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ pro- proclaimed. And so we want to thank you for being a part of us. So I'm going to ask that you would stand as we honor the Word of God together. I'm going to read it out loud. Stand with me. And when I'm done, I'm going to say, this is the Word of the Lord. And you're going to say... Thanks be to God. You're getting better. Getting better. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can open up your word today and see how you've inspired men to write these words, that we would have them today, that we would get a picture of who you are. God, a a picture of a God who loves us enough to give us Christ so that we can grasp and understand who you are. A man who, who lived and walked on this earth, a man who was not just a man, but a man who was God himself. Jesus, I thank you for your life, for your death, and the fact that through you I can now walk in light. I can walk in truth, and what is darkened can be illuminated. Jesus, I pray this morning that we would have just a bigger uh, picture of who you are today after hearing from your words. We love you, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. I mean, you may go ahead and take a seat. You ever been in a situation where someone says, I've got bad news and I've got good news? You ever been in those situations before? Um, I, I think typically uh, most of us are bent either one way or the other in terms of what we want to hear first. You know, some of us kind of like, well, give me the good news. I, I don't really care so much about the bad news. Give me all the good news. And so we want to think about all the good things that are going to happen. Um, some of us are very much not like that. We want to hear the bad news. And uh, when there's both, we're, we're, we're more concentrated on the bad news, right? So, so this snow, uh, with the snow comes good and bad news, right? Some of us, we, we look at the snow and we go, oh, man, this is awesome, right? First of all, I don't have to go to work. There's like a quarter inch of snow on the ground. This is great. Work our ballast. Everything shuts down. This is fabulous. Uh, second of all, I can build a snowman. I can like gather enough snow. We can put something together. It's going to be fantastic. I can stay inside. It's so warm. I can drink hot chocolate, a hot toddy and look outside and realize, oh, it's cold out there, but I'm warm in here. This is so good. Life is so good. I love it when it snows and things are all good. And we don't really worry about any of the bad things that are going to happen, like pipes freezing and people dying. But uh, then there's some of us who are far more acutely aware of, of kind of the negative side that the snow brings, right? So we think, oh man, um, like I said, uh, when, when snow comes, that means there's ice, and when there's ice, there's car accidents, and people die. Like, th- this is a legitimate problem. Or, you know, okay, uh, I can't go to work, which means, oh my goodness, uh, I'm not going to have any money, and if I don't have any money, I can't buy any food, and if I don't have any food, we are going to die. Like, this is a problem, you know, and some of us, this is how we think. You know, some of us spouses think this way. Some of our parents think this way. Uh, some of us just automatically go into like, oh my gosh, worst case scenario, uh, good news, bad news. So, so who are you? Are you half glass full, half empty? How do you kind of naturally think? Now, in this text, we are going to get um, some very good news. We're also going to get some very bad news. And then we're going to get some really good news. Then we're going to get some really bad news, and then we're going to get some really good news, and we're going to get some really bad news. Um, We're going to get all six of those. And I think to handle the Word of God appropriately, we need to be able to look at the news that's in front of us and to be able to react appropriately. So when something good happens, like snow, I think we need to be able to say, okay, this is a good thing. Let's celebrate this. Let's be aware of the bad things that are involved. Let's be aware of their consequences. But let's live in reality. Uh, reality is our friend. Reality says there is good news in life and there is bad news in life. And we need to understand and appropriately handle both of these. And John, in his text today, gives us very strong, very clear, some very good news, some very bad news. And we're going to look at both of it. 
before we get into the text, though, I do want to kind of remind us of who John is and, and the church that he's writing to. Uh, I introduced just a tiny bit of this uh, background to this text last week as we opened up 1 John. And uh, spoiler alert, I, I, I'm 99% committed to walking through the book of 1 John. It's, it's a dense book. It's a weighty book. Uh, but we're going to start slowly uh, one week a month as we're going to go through this book. But uh, in the background, we got to know who John was. Uh, John was a man who was very close to Jesus, probably the closest person to ever walk with Jesus himself. Uh, He was one of the 12 disciples. In the book of John, uh, he mentions four different times that Jesus says that this is the one of whom Jesus loved. So they are best friends. He walked with him. He lived with him. He was with him three years of his life, very, very close. By the time John wrote this letter in 1 John, uh, by the time he was writing it, all the other disciples had passed away. So John was the only living apostle, and he wrote it about 50 years after Jesus had left. Uh, amidst the church, a number of heresies had started to arise. Paul, when he planted the church and, and when he left, he said that from among you guys, heresy would start to begin. And that's exactly what happened. There were a number of heresies that were prevalent in this church. And by heresy, I just mean false teachings, untrue beliefs about God. And Paul addresses these untrue beliefs about God throughout this, or sorry, John does throughout this letter in First John. Um, one of the positions, one of the false beliefs came from a, a Jewish background. These people were uh, very familiar with the law. They grew up with their traditions, and they, they did not see Jesus as being the Messiah. They saw him as a man. They liked what they saw, but they didn't see him as the one fulfilling all the hopes and promises that they had seen. And so they rejected the divinity of Jesus. They said, okay, Jesus, you're a great man, great teacher, but we are going to reject you as any sort of divine, any sort of God. And that's a very common belief even to this day. This is a belief that was stolen from the first century. Uh, We are not unique in this thinking in our culture that Jesus was the historical man who we all know him to be, but some would say he is not divine at all. And that was more of a kind of a silly myth for the religious people to believe. Uh, Very prevalent thinking in our day and age. On the other side, you had um, the Gnostics. These people were not uh, familiar with, with Hebrew background. They were from the Greek background, kind of the Hellenistic background. Uh, during this time, there was uh, the rise in thinking of understanding that there are things that are physical and there are things that are non-physical. The, the non-physical things were what were deemed as good and right. And so, uh, therefore, Jesus was seen as divine. He was seen as good God. But the, the fleshly side of him was rejected, so they, they didn't want to believe that he was an actual man. Uh, there were beliefs that perhaps he was like a phantom, like his humanity wasn't really, uh, wasn't really human. His flesh wasn't really real. He was just kind of some uh, mystical, divine being. Uh, that was kind of that Gnostic thinking. And uh, they basically came to the conclusion that because of our introspection, because of our thinking, and because we can't understand how he would be both human and divine, we're going to reject his humanity and accept only his divinity. And it's in the middle of that that John writes, and he writes to this church, and, and he says to them, he says, wait, 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 wait. He says, you got to understand who Jesus is. It, it all hinges on Jesus, If you don't understand that he was fully God and fully man, then you don't understand God the Father. You don't understand the heart of God, and if you don't understand the heart of God, you're missing out on our faith altogether. And so very clearly, last week, we looked at who, what the heart of the Father is. The heart of the Father that wants to know you as an individual, and that the only way that we can actually know God is through Christ. 
But that's a really good thing because finally we are able to take all these ideas about God and put them in flesh, put them in something that we can put our hands on. Because otherwise we just have, uh, we're just grasping for vague ideas of God and concepts of God. But in Christ, we are actually to sink our teeth into something. And John's writing to these people and he's saying, in Christ you have a picture of this God, of your Father who wants to know you individually. And you've got to know Jesus, you've got to know God if you want to know his heart. Today he starts to expand a little bit uh, on what I would call the cores of Christianity, the core beliefs of what the gospel is. And so I want to expand on the why of Christmas, right? We, we said last week, why Christmas? We don't want to just talk about the what's, and we look at the what's all the time, the what is Christmas, right? The Jesus coming, the, the gifts, the, the angels, the Mary, the Joseph, the wise men, the shepherd, all these things, the family, the eggnog, the, the good times, these are all good extra things. They're all therefores because of the why. And today, again, we're looking at the why. Why did Jesus come? Why, uh, why did God the Father have to send Jesus for us to know him? And so that's exactly what we're going to look at as we get into verse 5 here. He starts out, uh, John starts out talking about God the Father, and he says this. Look in verse 5. He says, this is the message we have heard from him. This is the message that came from Jesus himself. And we proclaim to you, we're proclaiming to the church, to a group of believers, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. All right, here is, here's the first piece of really, 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 really good news. And if you get nothing today, I want us to get this. That God is light. That God is good. That he is holy. He is perfect. And in him there is no darkness at all. The Bible regularly talks about light, and it compares it very regularly to darkness. So to understand God the Father, we got to know what does light represent? It represents things physically, and it represents things spiritually. Light represents no less than two things. It, it, it represents truth, and it represents light. So light illuminates reality. Light illuminates what is true, right? When you, when you walk into a room and it's pitch dark, you turn on the light to see what is true, to see what is actual. Uh, light reveals things, right? It reveals things that are hidden. When you're driving at night, uh, you turn on your light so you can see what is true in front of you. You can see the road in front of you. You ever had headlights go off when you're driving at night? It's terrifying. You can't see anything. If there's no streetlights, there's no light, and, and there's danger ahead. You can't be guided into safety. So light reveals what is true. It reveals and gives life. If we didn't have the sun, if we didn't have life, we wouldn't have life as we know it, right? If we didn't have light physically, this planet could not sustain human life. We couldn't have temperatures that are necessary for human beings to survive. We wouldn't have photosynthesis. We wouldn't have air. We need light in order to survive. Spiritually, we know that this is true as well. We know that the Bible talks about Jesus and God as being light, as being the author and giver of life and the author and giver of truth. Uh, we, we see in Genesis that God gave life. He sustains life. He creates life. And we see in Acts 17, 28, we read this, that in God we live, move, and have our being. So in God we have what is true and we have what gives life. And it says that in him there is no darkness. Now, what does darkness represent? Darkness represents what is hidden, what is concealed, what is wrong, what is evil, spiritually speaking, what is ignorant. To be in the dark is to be ignorant of what is real. In, in our day and age, darkness is used to hide 
Um, it, it happens all the time. If, if people commit a crime, they, they very often do it in the concealed darkness. This happened just in our parking lot a couple weeks ago. Pastor Kurt's car broken into in darkness. Luckily, we had a camera that was like 12 feet away from his car, so we got the whole picture of it all. But uh, someone thought that they were in the cover of darkness, right? No one's ever afraid of the light, right? No, no kid ever said, Mommy, I can't go to sleep. It's, too, it's, it's light out, and I'm scared of the light. No, no one, no one says it. We're afraid of what we don't know. We're afraid of what is evil, what is dark. And the Bible very regularly talks about darkness in terms of spiritual death, in terms of following Satan. And so we know that God is light. I think that we have a hard time, though, really grasping what that, would, what, what that relationship looks like. That God in him is no darkness at all. I think that's true because when we think about the relationships that we have, we don't have any relationships like that at all. All right, think about your closest friends. Think about your spouse. Think about your coworkers, um, people that you're really close with. What, what are some things? There, there's so many good things about these relationships, right? You think about, man, I, I love my friends. They're, they're generous. They're kind. Uh, we, we have fun together. We go on vacation together. We work together. We accomplish things. We build things. We conquer all these good things, right? But in that list of good things with people we know and love, what is also there? List of hurtful things, right? The, to the extent of which you know someone, you know their inadequacies. You know their failures. You know their areas of weakness. You know where they struggle. You know where they are wrong. You know where they are living in darkness. And this is true of every single one of us. Uh, this is true of spouses, certainly, to the extent that you know your spouse. You know where they fail, and that's every one of us in this room. See, I think it's easy as Christians to very often think, oh, yeah, we're good, we're walking in the light. But the reality is all of us struggle. Every person we know has failures. And because this is true, I think we have a hard time thinking about a God who does not have any of those. You throw the word father on that, and that brings on all kinds of other connotations. Because I don't care how amazing your dad is. I don't care if your dad's Ward Cleaver of the Year. If your dad was amazing, every single one of us still know a page-long list of insufficiencies in your dad. And I think it's easy to then project those onto our Heavenly Father and to think, well, is God really altogether wholly good? Or do we go through times when we're struggling and we think, you know what, maybe God's punishing me. Maybe he's mad at me because I did this, this, and this, and he's making this happen in my life, and it's... it's not just discipline, but it's actually punishment. And I think sometimes we get a wrong view of a God who's, who's maybe a little bit angry at you. Maybe using his power manipulatively. The Bible very clearly from the beginning sets out our true belief about God and that he, it is this, that he exists and that he is only good. I want us to take some time to think about that this morning. God is only good. There's no darkness in him. It's a very different view of the Greek gods of old, where God is all-powerful, uh, but he's scary, too, because you don't know if he's going to zap, you don't know if he's going to take your wife, you don't know if, whatever he's going to do. And that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is all good, truly light, and in him there is no darkness at all. I hope we can think through that this next week. So that's the good news. Good news. God is 
only good, only good, only good. Time for the bad news. Uh, John will start describing us as human beings. He describes us in verse 6, 8, and 10. And I'm going to read them all here because it's all essentially the same thing. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So here's the bad news. The bad news is while God is light, he is altogether perfect, altogether holy, altogether good, the bad news is we are not. The bad news is we live in darkness. We walk in darkness. We, we say that we have the truth apart from God, but the reality is we don't. And this is a major rub with our society, isn't it? This is a major rub when it comes to evangelism. This is a major rub in terms of having conversation with people where you say there is a standard. There is a right. There is a wrong. There is a way in living that, that promulgates truth, and there is a way that promulgates evil. There is a way that says you are living in darkness, and there is a way that says you're living in light. And the Bible says that as human beings, very often we say with our mouths that we are living in truth, but John and the gospel will tell us again and again and again that we as human beings do not live in truth. And this is a message that very much is at odds with our culture. Our culture will say, well, where do you get this standard from? No, we don't believe that there's such a thing as right and wrong, light and dark. It all kind of just mixes together. But here's the thing. Um, we all agree that there are some things that culture says are right and wrong. Right? Things like intolerance and hate and injustice. So, so we'll shed light on those and say, that's darkness. Right? Hate is darkness. Intolerance is darkness. Injustice is darkness. But we disagree on a remedy. And this is where John's going to start to address things. See, culturally, when it comes to a remedy to what is dark, what is incorrect, what is untrue, uh, we look to ourselves to fix what is broken. Right? Just look at our, our last year as a nation. Uh, look at our, our whole political system. We, we have uh, a, a year where we're shedding light on all these things that we would consider dark, incorrect, wrong, hurtful, um, right? And we have all these political candidates saying, uh, this is wrong, I will bring right here. This is dark, I will bring light. This is incorrect, I will bring truth. And we have all these platforms and promises based on us as humans shedding light where there is darkness, and wow, we put a lot of hope into that. There's a lot of feelings, a lot of angst, a lot of joy, all poured into this fact that we have different people promising that they will bring light where there is darkness. Fact of the matter is, for years and years and years, thousands of years, we've been looking to ourselves to find light where there is darkness. We see this very clearly Several hundred years before Jesus came on the scene. This is, we are not new to this type of thinking. This type of thinking started very, very early on, and we see it so clearly right before the announcement of Christmas in the book of Isaiah. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 8. Here we are going to see people putting their hope in humankind to bring light on darkness, and we're going to see what the remedy was to this problem. Chapter 8, verse 19, and then we're going to get into chapter 9, which is probably the most famous uh, Isaiah passage about Christmas, trying to address what is fundamentally broken with us. Chapter 8, verse 19 says this, um, Inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, 
Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They've got no light. They can't see. They're in darkness. Verse 21, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and they will speak contemptuously against their king and God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. He's saying uh, in in this type of thinking, how can we fix what is broken? How can we walk out of darkness? Uh, It's it's recommended here that they are going to look to mediums and necromancers. They're going to look to themselves. They're going to look to humanity and say, how can we fix this through psychology, through philosophy, through introspection? How do we fix the fact that we are walking in darkness? And what's the answer? The answer is found in verse 2. Then the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Go back later and read 3 through 5. Verse 6 says this in reference to verse 2 through 5. For unto us a child is born. This is the light. This is a light that came from outside in. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Where did hope come from? It didn't come when they were looking to the earth. It didn't come when they were looking uh, for hope within. It didn't come when they were uh, having their faces to the earth. It didn't come when they were looking at the mediums and the necromancers. It didn't come through introspection. It didn't come from their, pol- from their politics, from their philosophy, from their psychology. It didn't come from any of these things. A light came from somewhere else. Truth was revealed from somewhere else. Verse 2, these people walked in darkness, have seen a great light. For unto us a child is born. Finally, we start getting into the good news. The light that was shown came from outside. We, we won't solve it on our own. We've been trying for years and years and years and years and see where it leads us. It leads us to a place in 2016 where, oh my goodness, so much hope is placed into a system where many of us are disappointed. But hope comes from outside. Hope comes to restore what is broken. Hope comes to bring light where there is darkness. Hope comes in verse 7 and 9 as well. Let's read this. What does 7 and 9 say? We're going to lump these together as our final good news, and then we'll close in prayer here. He says, If we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So why Christmas? What is this final good news? How do we get out of darkness? What's interesting is John is writing to a church. He's writing to a group of believers. 
And he's writing to a people who, who are having strife and conflict in relationship. He's writing here and he says, you want fellowship with one another? You want that restored? You've got to realize that you are walking in darkness, that there's, there's this ongoing perpetual path that all of us are on. And to be living in Christ is to be living towards truth every single day. But here, fellowship is broken when we are not walking in this truth, when we are not walking in this life. And he gives us a remedy here. He says, we need to confess our sins. We need to confess to one another. If we want to be walking in light, walking in truth, we need to confess our sins. And we need to be walking in light as those who have recognized Christ is the true life that we have. In John 8, 12, John says this, and I'll end here shortly. He says this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have eternal life. So why Christmas? Christmas reminds us of the three greatest truths of the gospel. Truth number one, that God exists and God is good. God is altogether good. In him there is no darkness. Truth number two, that you and I are living in darkness, that humanity is living in darkness, and the only way to find light is not through introspection. It's not to try to figure it out, but it's to see the light that came from Christ. Remember that every time you see a light this year, every time you see a Christmas tree, every time you walk by a house, every time you see a light, every time you hear the star and you think of the star, think that is light coming to us. That is truth. That is life coming to us. And the only way that we will have relationships restored with our Father, the only way that we will be walking in truth, the only way that we will be walking in life is to recognize that Christ came, gave his life for us. So why Christmas? Jesus came so that we can have relationship with the Father who loves us again. He came to restore what is broken, to give peace where there was darkness. And I pray that the next week, that as you're celebrating it with your family, with your friends, where there will be brokenness in Koinonia, that you can walk in truth, you can walk in repentance, you can walk in confession, and together you can have an awesome Christmas where relationships can be strong because you are walking in truth. Would you join me in celebrating Christ in Christmas as we pray and take communion together? Heavenly Father, it is such a joy to be able to celebrate Christmas together, to celebrate the fact that we have a God who loves us, to celebrate the fact that while we so often think that we can solve problems on our own, Lord, let us look to you. Let us look to your truth, to you as the author and giver of all things good. And God, let us humbly, faithfully follow you. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.